0: You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints of God, three mini-sermons today. First, Thanksgiving, then the second coming, then the five wise and the five foolish virgins. First, a quick note about Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Uh, we, we, it's really quite stunning that we as a nation stop in this last week to consider all of the things that we have to be thankful for, and it's good. We as Christians, in fact, have even more because we know that the Lord Jesus did not even spare His only begotten Son but gave Him up for us all and also together with Him gives us all things. Th- this means this means that everything that comes to us in our own lives comes to us from the hands of God who loves us, the hands of God who suffered and died for us. We talked, it seems like just a couple of weeks ago, about how Christian thankfulness is different than, than simply gratitude, because while gratitude sees the good thing, the goodness of the thing, we, we recognize the goodness of the giver of the thing, and this means that the Christian can give thanks in all circumstances. We, we see that even in the tough stuff and the difficult stuff, in the sorrowful stuff, in the afflictions, and in the in just this valley of tears that this life is, that those things come to us in the hands that were nailed to the cross for us. Now, on the flip side of that, and this is the interesting thing I, I want to think about for a minute this morning, that a lack of thankfulness is one of the marks of the pagan, unbelieving mind. So, Paul says this in Romans chapter 1, which is really an incredible passage. He's He's putting forth the, the kind of the, the devolution of the human mind into an, into a godless idolatry. And he's talking about how it happens. And he says this, picking up in Romans chapter 1 verse 20. The invisible attributes of God, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, all of these have been clearly perceived even from the creation of the world in the things that are made. In other words, we can know about God by looking at creation. So, Paul continues, they, those who do not believe in God, are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking the foolish hearts, their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise. Instead, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal, undying God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So that a lack of thankfulness becomes one of the marks, one of the foundations of the mind that thinks without God. As, as Paul talks about how humanity descended into idolatrous unbelief. He says it happened because they did not give thanks. And this pushes thanklessness right back to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve were not thankful for the gifts that they had from God, but instead they were troubled that God had not given them to eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was a thanklessness there with Adam and Eve in the garden that was that was there as... Sin was being born. So there is a thankfulness at the root of every sin. And I think that this is probably true for us as well. Remember that there's this wonderful passage in James where he goes into the, he kind of takes sin and dissects it to see what the different parts of sin are or how how sin grows. It's like the anatomy of sin. It's in James 1, it starts in verse 14, and James says this, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. So you have desire, which is luring and enticing, and then desire is conceived, and then desire gives birth to sin, and then sin grows up into death. So that at the root there, at the, at the foundation of every sin is a sinful desire. Something uh, wanting something or desiring something that you're not giving wa- given wanting something that you don't have. Now, now do you see that the the, the problem of this of the of the root of sin uh, is, is that desire and it and it manifests itself then in a lack of thankfulness. The the seed of sin is planted in the dirt of thanklessness, not having thankfulness. And this means, and I could use your help thinking this through a little bit, you can help me, but I, I think what this means is one of the foundational acts in our own lives of sanctification, one of the most important things that we do to fight against the world and the flesh and the devil is to give thanks, that as we give thanks... We are, in fact, combating the false desires that roll around in our hearts and in our minds and in our conscience. So that instead of wanting those things that we don't have, when we give thanks, we're delighting in the things that we do have. And instead of being our own God and seeking to create a life for ourselves, when we give thanks, we acknowledge that God is our Father and we see all of the things that He's done for us. So that thanksgiving, in fact, is much, much more than we could have imagined. That thanksgiving is like a repellent for the devil and for his temptation. Thanksgiving orients our hearts and our minds towards those gifts of God. Thanksgiving is then the fundamental act of Christian worship. Where we come before the Lord to give thanks for his mercy. To see and to rejoice in all that he's done for us. All of it undeserved. All of it free All of it wonderful. Thanksgiving. That's the first sermon. Second sermon. We should have a few words today, especially on the last day of the church here, about the return of Jesus. In fact, I think we'll spend a bit more time in Bible class talking about it, but it's good to consider, just kind of in overview fashion, the Bible's teaching about the second coming of Jesus, especially because there's so much confusion about it in the church at large. Now, I, I think there's a shift in the way that people think about the second coming as well. And so I'd be interested in, in how the conversations go with you guys and your neighbors and we, as you listen to people who are paying attention these, to these sorts of things. I think that, that people's minds are shifting when it comes to the second coming. But there's always this idea out there of teachers and preachers who are looking for various signs of the times. Indications that the second coming of Jesus is getting closer. They see the fulfillment of various biblical prophecies in the newspaper. You know, you've seen these guys. They're interpreting the, the, the New World Order uh, as a fulfillment of some prophecy in Ezekiel. Or, we, in fact, we had a tape to the door of the church a couple of weeks ago, a letter from a neighbor talking about how the RDIF chips are a sign of the end times. It's, this is all over us. These ideas that, that, that we can see all of these prophecies from Ezekiel or Revelation or Daniel unfolding, and, and, and they become indicators that the end is coming. Now, this entire endeavor is wrong-headed. This is what we need to think about. We know that the church has lived in the expectation of the return of Jesus for 2,000 years, and that is right for the church to live in that expectation. Jesus ends the gospel reading by saying, you do not know the time when the Son of Man will return. That First Thessalonians, the passage that we had in the epistle, says that we are not in the darkness, but we live in the day, always res- expecting the return of Jesus. So that there is nothing standing between us And the second coming. There's no promises still to be fulfilled. And this has been true ever since the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. There have been no more promises to be fulfilled. Now, this do, this understanding is the doctrine of the imminent return of Christ. It means that Jesus could return at any moment so that we're not waiting for the temple to be rebuilt or some political figure to manifest themselves as the Antichrist. All of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ so that we are only waiting for one thing, the trumpet, to sound, the shout of the archangel, the Lord Jesus himself to descend and raise the dead and gather us all to His where he'll divide the sheep and the goats, those who are called according to his name and those who worship the false gods. This is an important thing for us to remember, that there are no prophecies to be fulfilled. Christ has fulfilled them all. And this understanding helps us sort through all of the things that we hear about the last days or the end times. If someone comes along, for example, and tells us, that certain people or certain events or certain technologies or whatever are fulfillments of biblical prophecy, we know that they are wrong. For we wait today with the same eager expectation that the saints of God who first believed wait in Thessalonica and Ephesus and Rome and wherever the church was being born. And not only that, not only are we waiting, but we are longing for that day, looking for that day, hoping for that day, praying for that day. That it will come, and this I think is the third sermon. That, that is the five wise and the five foolish of hope. Now it's something that the Lord Jesus has gathered us together, gathered His people here today together, especially because He wants us to hear this parable and to be ready, because there's a day that's coming when the door will be shut. And those who are inside are inside the wedding feast, and those who are outside will be outside the wedding feast, and it will be that way into eternity. And so Jesus wants you to be inside. That's why he tells the parable. That's why he tells it to the disciples, and that's why he has it for us. He wants, he wants you to be in the wedding feast, in the banquet of eternal joy. So he warns us that there is a day coming, that there are ten who are waiting in the parable, ten who look ready, ten who seem like they're ready to go to the party, but when it comes down to it, only five of them make it in, and five are shut out. Now Jesus uses the word wise to describe those who make it in. And this, at least to me, is a surprise. It seems like Jesus could have called them the five ready virgins or the five waiting virgins or the five prepared, well-prepared virgins or something like this. But he doesn't. He calls them wise. And why they are wise is what we want to know. Because we want to share in that wisdom. So here's the setup. There's a wedding. And especially in those days, they would make, I mean, the weddings were a huge deal. We make big deals out of weddings, but it's nothing compared to weddings in ancient Israel, I mean, they would celebrate for a week long. You'd shut down the shop, you'd stop farming, you'd go to town, you'd have a week, five days of feasting. And the, the marriage would just be one of the days. You'd have all these things surrounding it. So, so everything was ready. But the bridegroom, who was coming to town and was to be accompanied into the wedding feast by ten virgins holding their lamps, the bridegroom is delayed... So these ten bridesmaids who are waiting to go into the party fall asleep. But then at midnight the trumpet blows, the person watching says the bridegroom is here. So all of the virgins who are to go with the bridegroom wake up and they trim their little oil lamps and they go and they light their lamps. But five of them realize that they didn't have enough oil. They weren't ready to wait. Their lights are flickering and going out. So they say to the five who had brought extra oil, give us some of your oil. But they say there's not enough for us and for you. Go buy some, which is going to be a tough proposition at midnight. Go buy some oil uh, for yourselves. So they go to buy the oil. But by time they find someone selling oil and buy the oil and pour it in their lamps and get the lamps re- lit and are ready to accompany the bridegroom in, it's too late. The wedding party is, has passed through the street Five who are ready have gone in, and five are left out. And then to make sure, I mean, Jesus doesn't want us to miss this, to make sure that we get the point, these five foolish virgins come and knock on the door, and the bridegroom comes to the door and says, I don't know you. You can't get in. There's no second chance. Now we hear of this beforehand because Jesus wants us to have this wisdom. And the wisdom is a readiness. A readiness to wait for Jesus for the long haul. A, readiness, a, a, a willingness to stick through it. A, a willingness to suffer. To be rejected. To be troubled. To be patient. Knowing that the bridegroom might come now or he might come years from now. There's a parallel, I think, in the, in the parable of the sower. Remember the parable of the sower. The sower goes out to sow the seed, and some falls on the path, and some on the rocks, and some on the, some on the weeds, and some on the good ground. And remember the seed that falls on the rocks. It says that that seed grew up quickly. In fact, probably quicker than the seed that fell on the good ground. But then the sun came out, and the sun beat down that, those plants so that they withered and they died. And Jesus says, as he's explaining that parable, that the sun was hardships. The sun was struggling. The sun was the temptations and troubles of this life. And that sun killed the plant. Now, there's a mystery here for us to consider. Because if we we were just to watch this and watch the plant grow quickly and then watch the sun beat down the plant, and you were to ask me, well, what was the problem? Why did that plant wither and why did it die? I would say, well, the sun is what killed the plant. But Jesus says, no, it's not the sun. It was the rocks in the soil. The plant died not because the sun was beating down on it, but the plant died because it didn't have roots. Because the, because the, because the plant wasn't ready for the heat of the summer sun. It grew quickly, but then shriveled, but it wasn't the sun's fault. If the plant would have had roots, think about this, if the plant would have had deep roots, then the sun would have been a blessing for the plant. It would have made it grow even bigger. Now, Now, this is the thing that Jesus wants us to know, that we will live a life of suffering. But the suffering is not the problem. That's what Jesus is saying. The suffering is not the problem. It's what you can't see. It's the roots. That's the the danger. It's the oil in the lamp. That's the risk. We will make it to eternal life, not because the Lord Jesus will protect us from the difficulties of this life. We'll make it... To the gathering together of the Lord's people, not because this life is going to be a cakewalk and Jesus is going to give us all that we need. No, we are going to make it to eternal life through a life of difficulty, through a life of sorrow, through a life of sickness, through a life of temptation. Jesus says, In this world you will have trouble. He promises it so that we shouldn't be surprised by it. In fact, that's how St. Peter preaches. He says, Don't be surprised at the troubles and temptations that you're going through as though they're unique for you. You should know that they're going, that these things are happening throughout all the world. Tomorrow will be a rough day. Or the next, maybe. Or the next. The road is bumpy. It is narrow. It's difficult. Jesus did not say, take up your, take up your lazy boy and follow me. <laughs> but take up your cross. And the Christian life then is this cross-shaped life. you have had things to endure and you will have things to endure. You have had trouble and you will have more. Wisdom, the wisdom of the five wise virgins is being ready for it. It's being ready to wait. It's knowing that this life will have these temptations that it's it's knowing that life will be full of suffering and sorrow and trials and crosses but being willing and ready to stand and face these undaunted and you are ready I mean you have all that you need already You have the oil of the Holy Spirit already poured into your hearts. You have the light of the Holy Scriptures. You have the flame of faith. You know that your sins do not stand between you and the life that the Lord Jesus has for you because He stood between you and God's wrath. You know that Jesus, even now... Is preparing a place for you so that where He is, you will be also. And you know that one day you'll have to die if Jesus tarries. But that to die for the Christian is gain. It's to pass from death to life. So whenever it is that the last day comes, whenever it is that the trumpet blows, if it's today, if it's next week, or if it's, it's in the next generation, we stand waiting and ready for the unending joy that awaits us there. May God grant us this wisdom that we would be good at waiting, that we would trust Christ through the difficulties, that we would lean on Him in all of our troubles, that we would trust in His blood and His suffering, even as the last day comes. And may Jesus prevail in our hearts until he brings us to eternal life. God grant it for Christ's sake. Amen. And the peace of God that passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.